The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines. China's manufacturing sector contracts for the fourth straight month, but equity markets move higher as Beijing reportedly prepares to announce fresh measures to support consumption today. Asian markets extend last week's gains, with the Nikkei hitting a four-week high and tech stocks leading the way on the Hang Seng. U.S. equity markets close out a milestone week as bumper earnings push the benchmark indices to 15-month highs, while core PCE data shows inflation at its lowest in almost two years. And crude is on pace for its best monthly performance in a year and a half. As expectations rise, Saudi Arabia will extend its voluntary production cuts for another month. Well, good morning again, everybody, and welcome to Squawk Box. A couple of new faces for you today. Myself and Tenvi are filling in for Steve and Karen. They're away this week. Uh, and what a week we had last week. We're set for another busy week as well this week uh, with a lot of earnings and, of course, yeah. the Bank of England to watch out for. Oh, absolutely. The Bank of England. And just like uh, something that is going to be straight top of mind for us right now is uh, Chinese policy measures that mm -hmm. might be out at 8 a.m. BST. So we're going to be watching out for that. Important earnings in Apple and Amazon will dominate the scene in the U.S. US. And then, of course, you know, all that talk about what happens to the bond market rally, given the expectation that rates might have peaked, uh, is another talking point in the market. Yeah, lots to get through. And of course, on heels of three major central bank decisions last week, we had the Fed hiking 25 basis points, the ECB following suit with 25 basis points, and then the Bank of Japan on Friday to cap things off, tweaking a little bit uh, their own assessment of the upper a range target on, on, on YCC. Would be, would be the Bank of England? Yeah, let's see what they go for, <laughs> whether they actually go for 50 this time. They'll likely, uh, they'll probably go for 25. But still, let's get to our main issue of the day, and that is that manufacturing activity in China has contracted for a fourth straight month, with PMI coming in at 49.3 in July. That is higher than forecasts and up from 49.0 in June, but still below the 50 mark, which separates expansion from contraction. Activity in the service sector weakened to 51.5 amid reporting that Beijing will give more details today about measures to expand consumption. So let's just take a quick look at how Asian markets uh, have reacted to the news. And broadly speaking, we are more positive. The Shanghai Composite in China is up six-tenths of a percent. Hang Seng continues to do quite well, up 1.2%, though, of course, now these reports that uh, the Chinese authorities will unveil further measures to stimulate is giving another bit of a boost to these uh, Asian indices. The Nikkei obviously in focus after the Bank of Japan meeting on Friday. That index up nine-tenths of a percent, and we're still sitting at around three-decade highs there. The Aussie index coming off a little bit. And as you and I were just talking about, Tenvir, I think what's interesting is for so much, uh, the first half of the year, the expectation was 
that these numbers out of China would mm -hmm. sort of set the tone for the rest of the world. And instead, what we're seeing is the recovery, the momentum of this recovery has started to fizzle out. And if anything, China has become, become a net exporter of deflation yeah. to the rest of the world, not inflation. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and that's been the key talking point. What also has been hogging the limelight this morning, uh, uh, Jumana has been uh, the manufacturing PMI that's come out in China, still in contraction mode, 49.3 in July, slightly better than expectations. But that just highlights uh, that there is drying up of orders. Uh, there is pressure on the external demand side, which is putting pressure on, on the markets as well. So that's something that we need to uh, monitor. Of, of course, these new measures that the government is likely to come out with and announce uh, at 8 a.m. BSD would also be critical for the markets uh, to monitor. Well, here's the thing. Uh, has the data got so bad now that authorities will have to do something to stimulate? Of course, there are reports that they're going to come up with some targeted measures later today, but perhaps that might be a mild positive in the sense that we've got a floor now in terms of how bad things can go because the authorities are watching and saying, well, we're uncomfortable at how quickly this recovery has started to fizzle out and therefore they will come out with these targeted measures. But the question is ever is how significant they can be because they cannot go back to the old playbook of just stimulating for the sake of stimulating and stimulating real estate and infrastructure, which is what they've done in the past. Yeah, and my question essentially is what would the new targeted measures do for the economy that the previous measures haven't? They've seen a series of triple R cuts as well as benchmark interest rate cuts. So it's still something that we need to assess as you go forward. Well, let's get out to Emily Tan, uh, our correspondent uh, in Asia. And Emily, just give us a sense for, number one, uh, how uh, dire these numbers are, if we can put it that way, and also what to expect out of these potential measures later on. You know what, Jumana, we've got uh, a set of a 20-point plan that has been issued by the State Council earlier this morning, about a couple hours ago. Uh, so we already have some idea of what the government wants to do in terms of a boosting consumption, uh, com uh, basically boosting demand and upgrading innovation. Uh, when we had the uh, NDRC, that is the National Development and Reform Commission, uh, publishing this, and then it was, of course, then put out further by the State Council. This is supporting the gains that we are seeing in the market today in Hong Kong, in China. Uh, the Hang Seng Index now at a three-month high, and it, for the month of July alone, we are up close to 7%. These are gains that we have not seen in a single month since the start of the year. Uh, so there is some optimism here to be supported by, of course, the 3 o'clock press conference local time in about two hours from now, as we do expect the government there to further flesh out some of the detail that we've heard. Uh, so as I mentioned, China State Council published measures aimed at expanding domestic demand and boosting consumption in order to enhance high-quality development. In this, a 20-point plan was expected in order to achieve a better combination of effective market and effective government, optimizing supply and expanding demand while upgrading innovation and development. These measures put together by the National Development Reform Commission spells out ways to expand consumption of new energy vehicles. So we're seeing big gains come across from the EV plays, supporting housing needs. The mainland property stocks also on fire today and to improve rural e-commerce and logistics and develop rural tourism as well. So those China tech plays are the platform companies like Meituan, Alibaba, Tencent, all rallying pretty hard today. Uh, this is all playing out in the China and Hong Kong markets today, supported by this 20-point plan. Gains are pretty broad-based, with an extra boost coming through in the tech plays. I'll tell you that the uh, Hang Seng Tech Index today is rallying, and we're looking at a gain of 
2.5%. Now, this comes as a joint press conference with the NDRC, the Ministry of Industry and IT, the Commerce Ministry, and the State Administration of Market Regulation will have more details to come through at 3 o'clock local time. These measures are what the market has been waiting for and helped it to shrug off basically a little bit of a weaker PMI reading, the manufacturing activity contracting for now a fourth straight month. The official figure is coming in at 49.3 for PMI, although that is better than expected, an improvement from the previous month, Tanvir. Uh, the non-manufacturing PMI at 51.5, and that dragged the composite figure to 51.1. But the market, as you can see, has shrugged that off, and we are looking in two hours for further detail of the support measures for the Chinese economy. Back to you. Oh, absolutely. That policy support, uh, um, good to see you from afar, uh, is of course leading the markets higher. And it's not just in China, mind you, but it's also about other markets uh, where China is a key export destination. So you're looking at the Nikkei 225, 20% uh, of uh, Japan's exports go to, go to China. Uh, and so this market is also getting a facelift on the back of that news. Of course, the BOJ's decision is also being digested. But for now, for the here and now, we are looking at the Nikkei 225 reacting to this piece of news. Uh, the Hang Seng Index high by 1% as M pointed out. And a lot of these measures, if the 20-point report comes out and there's talk about how they might boost technology, then that would be, again, a leg up of for Hang Seng and the tech index within that. And then, of course, the Shanghai Composite also higher by about 0.6%. Last week was a great week of gains after many months of sluggishness for the Chinese and the mainland grid China markets and the mainland markets. Uh, the ASX 200 flat as flat can be, but these are two markets which are heavily dependent on China demand. Let's take a look at U.S. markets and recap the action there on Wall Street in Friday's session. Uh, and this is how the close happened, half a percent. Uh, don't go by the um, optical gain of about half a percent because this market is just shy, 4% shy of record highs uh, coming in there. And that pretty much defines how many things, many factors, many macro indicators coming together, whether it's the PCE deflator uh, falling below expectations, whether it's the GDP number outperforming at 2.4%, or it is, uh, for that matter, uh, cons uh, consumption, con uh, consumer confidence actually uh, coming back uh, in a big way. All of that is driving interest in the equity markets. Uh, let's just bring up the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq as well. Higher about 1% nearly. Uh, the record high that we are tracking on the S&P 500 is just shy of 4,800. And we're marching towards that. So closer to 4,600 is what we're talking on this index. 25% of the index is tech. And those important earnings from Apple and Amazon will pretty much determine the trend going forward. The Nasdaq higher about 2% on the back of fairly resilient numbers uh, from uh, the tech industry. And all that expectation that rates may have peaked is also uh, giving a boost to sentiment around tech in the U.S. Jumana. Sanvir, let's do a bit of a recap of some of the macro data we got on Friday. U.S. inflation showed further signs of cooling in June. Core PCE inflation, that is the Fed's favored inflation gauge, rose just 0.2% on the previous month. That was the lowest level since July 2022. Core PCE was up 4.1% on the year. That was its lowest level since September 2021. The Fed follows the PCE as it adjusts for changing consumer behavior and pricing trends compared to the broader consumer price index. It follows last week's Fed decision, which saw the central bank raise rates to its target range of 525 to 5.5%. However, Fed Chair Jerome Powell signaled they may have reached the peak of its hiking cycle. Really happy to say that Sophia Baig, economist from Morning Consult, joins us. Good morning to you, Sophia. So much to get through in terms of data from last week. I would say, though, the one thing that stood out to me 
where those GDP figures are really a big surprise to the upside, um, showing that the consumer still has disposable income, but that also business investment still remains quite robust in the U.S. economy. What does that tell you about the resilience of the U.S. economy at a time where the Fed have had to continue tightening interest rates? Hi, thanks so much for having me. So as you mentioned, GDP came out to be 2.4% for the second quarter for the U.S. That's up from 2% in the first quarter. And this is great news. It, it welcome to the surprise. Um, and the it's painting a picture of the U.S. economy as being quite resilient, as you mentioned. And this is coming, um, it's not just GDP, it's a bunch of other macroeconomic indicators as well. It's PCE, which is also coming down. It's CPI, which is coming down. Those measures of inflation, inflation is cooling. We also have a robust labor market. The U.S. unemployment rate is still quite low. Um, and then consumer spending continues to prop up the economy and is and continues to be quite strong compared to um, what people might have expected earlier this year. I want to pick up some commentary uh, from the Fed Chair Jerome Powell last Wednesday. One of the things he said is for them to be convinced that inflation is on a path to sustain, be sustainably back to 2%, they would need to see uh, below trend growth, firstly, and second of all, more weakness show up uh, on the labor side of things. We've got a key jobs figure coming up this Friday. If that does show, again, uh, signs of resilience, does that tell you that perhaps the Fed may not be done with their tightening cycle? So Fed Chair Jerome Powell did emphasize quite a hawkish stance, actually, at the last meeting that they'll do anything to get inflation down to 2% from 3%. Um, and the jobs market is quite strong, and that's good for consumers, it's good for workers, but it could be concerning for the Fed if it continues to be a little too strong. Wage growth is actually running um, higher than inflation at this point. Um, and wages are also quite important in terms of services. So wages are a, a big cost for services inflation, and core services inflation, excluding housing, is one portion of inflation that the Fed continues to emphasize as a key measure to see how inflation is doing and if it's actually coming down and it's coming down fast enough. So depending on how labor market um, numbers come out in the coming weeks, we could see the Fed become even more hawkish and more worried about getting inflation down to that 2% level. Sophia, hi, good morning. Then we joining in this conversation. What does that mean for the Fed's uh, rate trajectory from here? It means that the Fed um, it hasn't claimed victory and they might not be done. So um, in June's meeting, they came out with a summary of economic projections and most of the members on the FOMC actually projected two rate hikes before the end of the year. We had one in July and so there could be another one. Um, and Jerome Powell, as I mentioned earlier, he continues to emphasize that they'll do whatever it takes to get inflation down to that 2% level. Right now it's at 3%. We don't know if it's gonna continue to come down. It's great news. That it's been coming down um, and it continues to decrease, but they could need to raise rates more in order to get that inflation down to its target level. Right. Do you think that the resilience in the job, jobs market would continue and that the, uh, the resilience and the strength in the jobs market as well as the economy would overshadow uh, not getting the perfect number on inflation? So even if inflation is softening, but not there below 2%, that would be uh, a comfort zone for the Fed to say, you know what, this is the time for a policy pivot. Um, it's hard to say. It's 
all of their communication seems to emphasize over and over again that they're committed to that 2% level. They've never shown any sort of wiggle room there. So I find that to be quite unlikely, but it, it, I guess it depends on how strong the labor market is and how close we get to that 2% level. But I see them being pretty committed to it based on their communications in the past few months and especially in the past week. Sophia, we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us today on Squawk Box. Sophia Vague, economist from Morning Consult. Thank well, you. Citi has raised its 2023 and mid-2024 price targets for the S&P 500. You can read up on the bank's latest market forecast and why it's betting on the Fed achieving a soft landing on our premium service, CNBC Pro. Subscribe by scanning the QR code on your screen right now. And earnings season shifts into higher gear this week with Apple, Amazon and Qualcomm amongst the big names reporting stateside. Find out which companies have the strongest track record of beating expectations. That is also on CNBC Pro. And that's not all. Uh, we have an action-packed show today, uh, line, lining up uh, really for the start of the week. Uh, the S&P 500 is on pace for its fifth straight month in the green, while the Dow is just 1% away from its 52-week high following a 13-day winning streak. We look back at what's been a key month for markets. Also ahead, Germany is hoping for some positive data following a series of disappointing indicators. We'll break down the latest retail sales figures from Europe's largest economy at 8 a.m. CET. And Heineken talking about results, post results today. Uh, we will hear from the CEO, Dolph van den Brink, uh, at 8.20 CET, first on CNBC. All of that coming up on the show. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Welcome back to Squawk Box uh, right here in London on CNBC. Uh, we are watching for Heineken earnings that have just crossed the wires a little while ago. Uh, and you've seen the first half net profit come in at 1.1 billion euros. That's a drop of 8.6% uh, year on year. The first half operating profit has come in at 1.6 billion euros, a drop of minus 22%. Uh, you are looking at, of course, some aspects of growth within the data. So you have H1 revenue growth coming in at 6.3%. Uh, we have seen, of course, uh, the overall beer volume for the first half falling 5.6%. So lots of areas within the business where there's been a downtick, uh, not just in terms of overall profitability and overall revenue performance, but in, in uh, the specific segments of the business as well. Uh, what is the management saying regarding these earnings? We expect a strong turnaround in operating profit growth in the second half and for the full year we expect uh, a stable to mid single digit performance. Uh, that is of course telling of how they're optimistic about a recovery but their businesses in South Africa, especially in Nigeria and in Asia have hit them hard over the course of the last uh, three months. And Jamana, as we can see on the screen, 
this one has underperformed its peers, especially in uh, AB InBev as well as uh, Carlsberg. Yeah, I think one of the numbers that has uh, stood out to me is the fact that their beer volumes have fallen by 5.6%. Yeah. Uh, and you've got to wonder whether uh, that's a reflection of the lack of demand, the, whether they've seen a drop off in demand, mm -hmm. or whether it's a reflection of the fact that they haven't been able to pass on higher prices to their consumers. Um, last week, I think one of the things that showed up with a lot of these uh, consumer goods products is and many of them were actually able to pass on, pass on higher prices without forsaking too much volume. In the case of Unilever, for example, we saw price increases of more than 9% mm. with only a slight dip in volumes to the tune of about minus 0.1, minus 0.2 because they're in a stronger position. In this case, the volumes have fallen quite a lot, more than 5%, which has got to be a bit of a worry for them. As a consequence of that, their net profit for the first half has also fallen 8.6%. And then their outlook for the rest of the year also seems uh, to be uh, revised a lot, a lot lower downwards. So uh, the picture coming from Heineken today isn't that positive. And it will be very interesting to hear what the CEO has to say when we speak to him. Absolutely. And not just that, we're also going to be um, talking to him about how competition is brewing in the brewing space. Uh, uh, especially given the fact that uh, there has been a move towards cheaper brands because of the cost of living crisis in Europe. We'll speak, in fact, as Jumana pointed out, to the CEO, Don Venden Brink, at 8.20 CET, first on CNBC. You don't want to miss that conversation. U.S. trucking and logistics firm Yellow will file for bankruptcy after the Teamsters Union said the company had notified it of its intentions amid crippling debt and a standoff with the union. The collapse of the 99-year-old company would see 30,000 rolls made redundant and $5 billion worth of freight volume dumped onto the market. An Elon Musk rebrand of the X social media platform, formerly known as Twitter, continues as a giant X was installed on top of the company's San Francisco headquarters. The move has already seen local authorities open an investigation with the company supposed to have a permit to make any changes to its building. Musk has pledged to maintain X's HQ in San Francisco despite describing a recent doom spiral, which Musk claims has seen several companies depart the city. Talking about uh, more stocks in focus, Alphabet shares gained over 10% in uh, the last week with investors jumping into the stock following its results last Tuesday. The Google parent company saw revenue growth uh, of 7% uh, in the second quarter while uh, the market took hope the company can capitalize on its AI cloud and ads businesses. Now, uh, keeping it with uh, what's happening in the real estate market, the Blackstone Real Estate Income Trust, or uh, BREIT, has uh, sold around $10 billion worth of assets uh, since last autumn as uh, the $68 billion flagship property fund looks to meet redemptions while also turning its focus to investing in the AI boom. Yeah, that's not leaving them either. Uh, that's according uh, to the analysis by the Financial Times, which also reports that uh, BREIT has uh, committed $8 billion uh, to build data centers as companies ramp up their investment in the infrastructure space uh, that is required for artificial intelligence. And I think this is fascinating. This is fascinating, the fact that you're getting a REIT investing in AI, how this would work, how it would be constructed, what sort of weighting 
uh, would go into what stocks uh, is is going to be interesting to watch. Well, I also see it as a bit of a uh, a pivot in terms of focus out of this um, real estate fund, the the, um, the the Blackstone Real Estate Fund, which was very much in the news a couple of months ago because of. Uh, widely reported redemption requests. Uh, on the back of that, they have had to exit some parts of the business, um, for example, in Las Vegas. Um, and this, uh, as uh, investors were started to pull money out of the funds. But yeah. I think it is interesting that they are also jumping onto this bandwagon. They see an opportunity in artificial intelligence. You saw it on all of the Who tech earnings. Well, no, but, but that's a difference, right? Because yeah. there's going to be so many of these companies investing in it, but it's going to take some time to see actually whether the capex spending is going to yield results. It's very easy to say that we have an AI strategy, but what's going to differentiate the winners and the losers are those uh, that actually start to see a return on investment from all of the capex spending that they're planning. But I think yeah. it's smart from Blackstone's perspective to pivot into an area which still actually is fast growing because the data centers will be needed for that. And they've identified an opportunity here away from, say, office space, which, as we know, due to cyclical factors, higher interest rates and the, um, the change in, in the work from home model uh, have impacted that part of the commercial real estate market. So, so they're the smart guys. So I would trust them that they would know how to monetize. They have a monetize. They don't only have an AI strategy, but they also have a strategy to monetize. Uh, that AI plan uh, and like, like you said I think the commercial this is just a shift uh, to kind of de-risk the business because obviously commercial real estate not just in the US but also in Europe is proving to be a risk. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.